Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Good morning, City Life. So good to see all of you here this morning. For those of you who didn't know Pastor Jerome was preaching, surprise. For those of you who did know he wasn't preaching and still showed up, thank you for being courteous and kind to me and being here on today. I'm Pastor Coy Boyer, the pastor of Kingdom Life Church down the street and around the corner. Very happy to be with you all on today. This morning, as we continue on with this, we are one theme. I am often reminded over the years of mine and your pastor's friendship how he has consistently asked me a question whenever we come in contact with one another. And that question he asked me often is, how can we play together? Maybe for some of you have heard him make this statement. Um, it often gives me the image, since we were both sports addicts and players in our past, whenever he asked me this question about how we can play together, I, I get the image of two individual young men at a basketball court on the playground. I know they don't do this much anymore like they did when we were little, younger. But one on one side of the court, another on the other side of the court, both playing and practicing um, their game. I get this image because he asked the question, how can we play together? When I think of this question, my mind is drawn to this image. And over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Jerome has been leading you all through this theme, we are one. He has been trying to draw your attention to the biblical concept of oneness. And so I've been asked to come this morning and deliver a sermon that not only walks in line with this same theme, but also demonstrates this theme of oneness. Oh, that's my wife. <laughs> you might hear her throughout the sermon. Um, if I won't get one amen or no amen from you, I'm going to get one from her. We praise God for that. So this morning, I want to do just that. I want to focus on this concept, this theme of we are one, or oneness, this biblical concept of oneness, by illuminating the biblical concept of the church and our oneness by preaching to you on this, I guess, subtitle or piggybacking off the main theme, and that is a theology of one, a theology of one. Let us pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. I ask that you would now remove me, allow your Holy Spirit to take over, so that it's not my words nor my truth, but your words and your truth. Lord, I pray and ask that you'd hide me at the feet of Jesus behind the cross. Speak through me. Lord, I pray and ask on today that all of us in the house, your sons, your daughters, your creation, will be edified. And you and you alone, our great God, you will be glorified. Give me all praise, honor, credit, and glory because you are God all by yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. All God's people said. Amen. When we talk about this concept of oneness, I'm going to piggyback off where you started a couple of weeks ago in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. We read these particular words. 
We read, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus is in the midst of this high priestly prayer as he is praying from this concept, or he's praying from this idea, the ideology that the prayer in which he is praying will not only cover his present disciples, but it will also cover his future disciples, i.e. you and I. His prayer here in verse 20 to 21 is that we would all be one. But we have to ask ourselves a question, what does Jesus mean when he prays the prayer that we would all be one? I decided to look at Webster's Dictionary online to get a definition of oneness. Definition of oneness, you can look this up later, it's there, trust me, is this. It is this idea of the quality of being one. Singleness. Sameness as an identity. Unity of thought, feeling, belief, and aim. A strong feeling of closeness or affinity. And then to my shock, it said on Webster'sDictionary.com, very last statement, he feels a oneness with God. Yep, Webster's Dictionary. See, even they recognize spiritual things every so often. When Jesus prays for his believers, his disciples, then and now, that all of us would be one, his prayer is analogous to the oneness he enjoys with the Father. We see in verse 22 there. Here Jesus fleshes it out when he says, just as you are in me and I am in you, verse 21. A point that can be made here is while the Father and the Son are distinguishable and distinct, yet they are one. In a similar manner, we Christians, believers, the church, are distinct but must become one in performance, passion, purpose as we play together in peace. Jesus also prays that his disciples may all be one. So when the world sees us as the church walking in peace, don't miss this, when the world sees us walking in peace, then our witness confirms that we are his disciples. It even causes them to now believe in the message in which we preach of Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? For the display of unity is so compelling. It is so compelling, even to an ungodly world. Why? Because playing together in peace is so unworldly that our oneness becomes explainable only through the message of Christ in which we preach. Although the unity and vision in this chapter is not institutional, John chapter 17 it is observable. And this is important because if it is observable, then there is no doubt that this unity in which he's talking about can be lived out. But here's the question we must ask ourselves. If this unity is not institutional, but it is observable, then the question we must answer is then how do we get it? Better yet, how do we do it? I'm glad you asked the question. How do we as a church walk in oneness? Or your pastor would say, how do we play together in a manner that reflects God's oneness as demonstrated through our oneness? 
Today I want to give you a way in which we can start, and that is by having a theology of one. When we talk about the concept of oneness, I want you to know that this concept extends throughout the entire Bible. It does not just start here with Jesus in John 17, but if we trace this concept of oneness throughout the scriptures, we can see it all throughout the text. For instance, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read these words as we see the concept of oneness in creation. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. A couple of things that I want you to see here, gentlemen, and that is this, that the first thing that God said was not good was you being alone. Isn't it interesting in chapter 1, everything that God makes, is, he ends it by saying and it is good or it is good, it was good. But the only thing that is not good is man's aloneness. And if we look closely in Genesis chapter 1, big picture, we see what we call a shotgun approach to creation where God creates everything day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. And in day 6, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it looks like God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, at the same time. But chapter 2 opens up and gives us more specific rifle shot version of the creation and how it came about when it came time to create God's greatest pinnacle of his creation, man. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see that there is no man to actually govern the garden that God has put in the, or no, to, to actually take over the world or manage the world which God has created. And so God creates a man, then creates a garden like a playpen to put Adam in and then says, you manage this. God gives Adam a garden. God gives Adam some responsibility. Then he gives Adam some rules. He says, off any tree that you, may, that you see in the garden, you may eat and eat freely. And then we get to the part where God says it is not good for Adam to be alone. The first thing not good in creation is your aloneness, gentlemen. God identifies the problem, not Adam. He has no clue that he's alone. He thinks he's fine. He has a garden, which means he has a responsibility. He has God, which means he has a creator. He's not thinking about the fact that he is still alone. God not only identifies the problem, guess what? God's going to rectify the problem. He says, I will create him a helper suitable. Now, many theologians and scholars struggle with this word helper because this particular Hebrew word that is used here often is the word for helper that describes God when he's helping Israel out of a situation. What that means is Moses did not use a word that describes simple help as assistance, but it actually identifies God-like help because you cannot get yourself out of the situation in which you are in. In essence, ladies, make no mistake about it. When God created you, he created you to help us be better than what we currently were because without you, we could never do what God intended for us to do. I will create a helper corresponding to him, suitable to him. You know God will put Adam to sleep and then he will create these animals, or excuse me, create animals that don't work for a suitable helper. Then God puts Adam to sleep and then he creates Eve. And in verse 24, we read these words when uh, Adam wakes up, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. They shall become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. When Adam wakes up, I think for the first time, he says, God, you know what? I was alone. Why do I think that? Because if this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. She would invite me some back sometime. I'll tell you more about that. It's a lot to say. It says here that a man will leave his father and mother and be 
bound with his wife. One flesh here simply means in the Hebrew related by blood. They become kin to one another. You know what's interesting about the marriage relationship? It's the only relationship in the Bible in which is never to be severed except for a death. Children grow up and say goodbye. You're not to be one with them. One with the wife. One with the man that God has given you to. Here is the beginning of a family unit, which is why God says in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Just a little nugget. You know why Adam needed a helper who was suitable? Because while God gave Adam a rule to not eat off a certain tree, he also gave Adam and Eve another commandment, and that was be fruitful and multiply. Guess what? Adam can't do that one by himself, which is why she is not only a helper, but she's a helper like God because she helps him do what God commands them to do, be fruitful and multiply. And so they will spend their life what becoming one flesh. The concept of oneness in creation is a oneness experience in performance. You see, they will now work together to produce children to be fruitful and multiply. We see a concept of oneness in the creation so that that way they can function as one. Secondly, we see the concept of oneness and a common salvation in which we share. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read these words found in verses 13 and 14, but now, Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his Flesh. When this statement is being made here in Ephesians chapter 2, it is highlighting the fact that at one point in time, Jews and Gentiles were separated by a law that God had given the Jews that kept them separated from everyone else. See, the Jews had God's law, his word. They had his presence. They had his power. They had evidence that he had chosen them. And instead of using that to draw other people in, they actually used that to disconnect them from the rest of the world. Verse number 14, we see, for he is our peace who made both groups one toward down the dividing wall of hostility. You know what Jesus does here? He brought both groups to their saying, Father, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in the flesh. Verse 16 says it like this. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. Notice here, he brought both groups to their same father, which means they had the same heavenly father and just didn't know it. It took Christ dying on the cross to help reveal that. Number two, he brought brought both into one body, in essence, that he took these two groups and he made them one. Thirdly, he brought both groups through the same means, the cross. This is important because there seems to be no distinction here about how salvation is working. You know what he does in verse 17? It says he came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. In essence, he preached the same message. Verse number 18, we read these words, and I also say to you that you are, uh, 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 he did this, for though, excuse me, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That means he gave both groups the same access, through the same means, to the same Savior, access to the same God, 
to the same cross. You know what this means? This means that you are no more special than I am. I'm no more special than you are because when God looked through the corridors of time and decided to save you and save me, he did not save us differently based upon our race, our gender, our nationality. He did not save us differently based upon how much money you have or how much money I don't have. He simply saved us all through the same vehicle, the same tool, the same access to the same father through the cross. He took two different groups and he brought them into one. It's no different than when a man and a woman get married. They take two different family systems or structures in which they have grown up in, and they then bring it together to become one. And while you will celebrate some of the traditions in which you grew up with, you will also choose, if you're smart, to celebrate some of the traditions in which they grew up in. Why? Because you are focusing on becoming one. There is this significant point about oneness that seems to continuously flow throughout the theme of God's word, the concept of oneness and salvation is a oneness we experience and the passion or the love we all receive from God. The same love that saved you is the same love that saved me. There's a oneness and the passion we have both experienced and the love we've received from God. Thirdly, there's a concept of oneness within the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Peter, I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. Now, I want you to see something here very, very clear. It says, upon this rock I will build my church. It's important to you, for you and I to recognize that church here is singular, not plural. In essence, Jesus is talking about one church. One church. Not many churches. One church. Now, oftentimes we miss this particular word or phrase or understanding because you and I at times have a tendency to focus on the individual churches or assemblies we find ourselves a part of. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul has to deal with the Corinthian church with regards to how they are seeing the different servants that God has created. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number uh, verse. Number uh, 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 six, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, it's important here because what we see in verses three, four, and five is that the different Corinthian believers are saying, you know what? Paul baptized me. Well, you know, Peter was the one who brought me the gospel. Some said, well, you know, Apollos, he was the one who baptized me. In essence, what they were saying was, well, you know, Peter walked with Jesus, therefore he must be significant. Well, Paul, Simon of Damascus wrote, he's doing great work. Apollos was just eloquent in speech. When this brother decided to actually give God's word, he did it with such tact, such eloquence, such diction that you couldn't help but listen to him. He sounds a little bit like me. <laughs> In essence, here's what they were saying. They were saying, hey, I go to City Life Church, you know, I go to Kingdom Life Church, and therefore, because of the church in which I go to and the person who is leading it, my church is better than your church, not realizing it's only one church. And too often within the church, our local assemblies, we are fighting over who our pastor is, who our leadership is, the name on the outside of a building, not realizing that you are actually on the same team doing the same work. We are fighting a common enemy. And you and I look foolish when we fight one another. 
And so Paul is pretty much trying to help them understand something here, and that is you, you are acting very immature. He says in verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. <laughs> now he who plants and he who waters are one. And while he does say each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, his point here is that they are one. Why are they one? Because they are one in purpose. See, the whole goal was to plant and water. Excuse me, the whole goal was to get God to increase the seed that was either planted or watered. And so even though one preacher may plant or one person may plant and another may water, the goal is to cause or see the seed grow. That's God's job. But God has invited you and I into an opportunity to actually be a part of what he is doing. And I'm here to tell you, if you're going to be a part of anybody's plan, might as well be a part of the creator of the universe's plan because that's a plan in which you and I can bank on. And so, the concept of oneness within the church is oneness experienced in purpose. But there's also the concept of oneness in the diversity of our spiritual abilities. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read the words, starting in verse, verse 4 of chapter 12, there are different gifts but same spirit, different ministries but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. He goes on to say here, let you and I know that there is a lot of diversity within the body of Christ. Verse number seven, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Notice here he makes a statement that is given for the common good. Good. This is important because oftentimes you and I think that our spiritual gifts have been given to us because we are special. You know what's interesting is you don't get to be like most movies you see when you've been called to be a part of the elite to pick your weapon. So you don't get to pick your gift. They are given to you, you and I as determined by the Spirit. Which means you can desire somebody else's gift, but you should stop desiring somebody else's gift because that's not what was given to you. What was given to you was specifically designed and set aside for you. God does not make any mistakes. He does not miss the mark. Therefore, what you have is strictly for you. Too many of us at times are trying to function with somebody else's gift because we desire it, but we didn't get it. But what is the purpose of the gifts? Why would God give us all these diversity of gifts? Well, we see here in verse 17, as we look further in the first Corinthians chapter 12, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul says here, if we all were the same part because we had the same gift, how in the world could we make up a complete body? Can you imagine if you only had one arm? If you were only had one leg or just one eye. Now, don't get me wrong. I know this things, these things happen to us at times in life just because of life. But when God was putting you and I together, he was uniquely stitching all these parts in such a way that it would represent what? One body. It says in verse 18, but that is it, as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body. What? Just as he wanted Imagine, imagine one part of your body beating the other part of your body up. That's what was happening in this local assembly at Corinthian, at the church at Corinth. 
Because I had the gift of tongues. I made you feel like you weren't that spiritual. Well, I had the gift of discerning of tongues and so, or, or interpreting tongues. Well, I had the gift of prophecy. Well, I had the gift of, of administration. All these different individuals were so gifted that as opposed to using their gifts to represent a unified, powerful body, they were actually individually using them to make the person next to them feel bad about what they didn't have. In essence... It'd be like your left hand deciding that it no longer liked you and punching you across the face. Exactly. If that happens, we would call you crazy. You need a little white jacket with a white room with white pillows around you to keep you safe. Why? Because the body does not attack itself. Yet, for some reason, our local assemblies, we have the tendency to attack one another, trying to make one of us feel less than, inferior, or not as good as the other. Why? Because you do not realize at times that you and I have been given all of these different parts for one body. One. One. Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, verse 3, that we ought to carry out the peace that Christ has created. You and I don't create peace. We preserve, maintain, manage it. Christ has created it for us. The concept of oneness and diversity of spiritual abilities is a oneness experienced in peace. When we walk together in peace. That's pretty much what Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer back in John chapter 17, verses 20 and the following. I pray not for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be what? One. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He is simply saying they need to be one so that that way when people see them functioning in peace, they will believe that I'm the one who sent them because I was sent from you. In essence, it is like let men and women see our good works that they may glorify our Father in heaven. He says in verse 22 here in John 17, I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. This concept of oneness does not start here in John with Jesus sharing it. It started way back in Genesis when God created Eve for Adam and intended Adam to be with Eve. But we see this thing throughout the text being recommunicated so that, that way God's people will consistently do our best to strive to walk as one. Let me give you your four concepts, which you've heard throughout this summer, so you can see them. You can write them down if you want to, or you can take a snapshot. Concept of oneness number one. In creation, uh, the concept of oneness in creation is a oneness to be experienced in our performance. We function together. We perform together. Number two, the concept of oneness and salvation is a oneness we experience in our common passion from God, which means the same way he saved you is the same way he saved me. Same means, same access, same cross. Number three, the concept of oneness in the church is a oneness experienced in our purpose. Same purpose. Advance God's kingdom to make disciples here on earth as we live our lives 
as we await for Christ to return. Number four, in the diversity of our spiritual abilities, the concept of oneness exists or is experienced in our peace. We're no longer fighting one another, but in peace, we're living out the kingdom agenda together. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying to yourself, Pastor Boyer, I thought this was a theology of one sermon. You talked about the concept of oneness the entire time, but you said you were going to piggyback off our pastor's theme and talk about the theology of one. Okay, for those of you who are very intelligent, very scholarly, and you have held on to the entire sermon to this point, let me help you out here. First of all, theology, when you break it down, is not really a concept, nor is it simply a, 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 a doctrine per say theology just simply means theos god ology study of and so therefore theology is a study of god and so what i've decided to show you is that there's a theology with regards to when we excuse me in theology we study god and what you have seen is that in the scriptures there's a concept of oneness that flows throughout the scripture you want to know why because the theology in which we believe or the god in which we believe guess what he's one Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When you and I look at the fact that we have a theology of one, the reason why God gives us so many concepts of oneness is because he wants us to look like him. We believe in a distinct three-person God. The Father is not the Son nor the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father nor the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. But guess what? They are all equally, co-eternally God. How do you explain that? How do you even understand that? It takes a great deal of faith. Why? Because when you and I think about three persons, we don't think about one person. But here, three persons make up one God. Our God from the beginning has always been, always will be one. In Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our likeness and our image. Who's God talking to? Is he talking to angels or is he talking to himself? We see evidence of the Trinity in the baptism of Jesus where God the Father speaks. God the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and Jesus is being baptized. You know why the concept of oneness exists throughout the text? Because our God, he is one. His desire is that we look like him. And we reflect him here on earth on the same oneness that he himself is. Let me pray for you. As I'm praying, the praise team is going to come up, every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to hear your word, to also be encouraged yet challenged by it. Lord, I pray that this morning your people, my brothers and my sisters, your sons and daughters, have not only heard and been encouraged, but also challenged by your truths. Lord, I pray and ask that as we live in the city, as we worship in the same city, that we will find ourselves no longer fighting our brothers and sisters within the city, but recognize that just as there is one God, there is one church. 
And in our local assemblies, we must function as one. And within our city, we must begin to function as one. Why? Because in doing this, oh God in heaven, we look more and more like you and less and less like us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, and our Savior. It's in his name that we pray, believe, pray, and ask all these things. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's continue throughout our week as we get ready. Let's remember that God's goodness is chasing after us. So we're going to worship for the next few minutes, all right? And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am of the goodness of God.